Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, feels like we've been doing the legislative session and spring snows forever. But luckily, I've got lead producer Frankie Barnhill with me to help make sense of the slog. We're talking abortion bans, an update on the Meridian Library District, and breaking Boise foodie news. It's Friday, March 31st. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise is talking about. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Emma. <laughs> the legislature is still in session. Can you believe it? At no. least as of uh, recording this on Thursday morning. <laughs> Between that and the snow, uh, it feels like it's still November. I don't really quite know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. But I'm excited because we actually get to start this episode with some really good news. We've got an update on the petition to dissolve the Meridian Library District. Frankie, why don't you uh, tell us how it all went down? Yeah, so as you remember last week, there were those two hearings last Monday and last Wednesday, public hearings where so many people showed up to the Ada County Courthouse and uh, really said, hey, we do not want our library district to be dissolved and what that would have meant because uh, people who wanted to see it dissolved uh, were trying to say, no, 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 we just don't like the current leadership. But really what it meant was everything was going to be destroyed if it would have been dissolved. Of course, the, the question to commissioners this week was, do we allow this uh, question to go onto the ballot? So it wasn't that the commissioners were deciding whether or not it should be dissolved, but just whether or not voters in November should get the chance to decide. And they said no. Unanimously, all three Ada County commissioners said no, we, it should not go to the ballot. I watched a few hours of the hearing, but the turnout was really wild. Like at last count, I heard it was like 800 in person, plus another thousand written comments and mostly opposed to the library dissolution, only 55 in favor of the written comments, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And to me, it says, I mean, it just says a lot about, so this group, the Concerned Citizens of Meridian, you know, we're accusing the library district of a lot of things, including just, you know, not letting them in on the process to decide what books should be in the library. Um, and they were very concerned about, you know, what they considered pornographic material. Um, it happened to be that a lot of the books that they're concerned about had LGBTQ themes and uh, were around characters who are people of color, which is worth noting. And the question of it being pornographic in the first place is definitely up for debate. And I would say no. But yeah, I mean, the the fact that the Concerned Citizens of Meridian were able to get this far, however, with this petition to actually have, you know, three commissioners decide whether or not this should go to a vote is saying something like this. This group clearly has some power but in this case, they were way overpowered when it came to uh, public support, 
people who actually showed up, took time out of their Monday and Wednesday nights last week to show up, be there for hours waiting to testify against this idea. Um, so I don't know. It feels like there's something going on in Meridian. Like there's there's obviously a lot of tension and a bedroom community that um, has grown rapidly in recent years, like even faster than Boise. And the population continues to grow um, and has, you know, a more conservative streak of politics. No question about that. Uh, you know, Republican mayor, uh, Republicans on the city council, nonpartisan positions, but still we know that they're conservative. But, you know, and then a lot of people who probably vote conservative, but it at least in this case, they did not agree with this idea to get rid of their library district based on this. Yeah. And uh, Director Nick Grove, who we've had on the show a couple of times, he really called it. He said, you know, we have the support of the community and we're just focused on, you know, serving the community. And when we had him on, he was upset about it, but also not super, super concerned. So I think he was right. Yeah, he was totally right. And yeah, in a press release, he basically said this decision behind us. Now we can go back to focusing on what we've always done, serving our community, expanding our library services um, and move on from this. So what happens now? I was interesting. I thought, you know, Commissioner Ryan Davidson, he alluded to or even kind of recommended to the petitioners that they could seek a recall election for the district board members. But isn't the election in May? Yes, great point. So uh, that and that's been a point of contention this whole time is if the this group concerned citizens and Meridian are so upset with the board members, then why don't they run for office? Why don't they kick them out? Why don't they uh, elect new board members? The the terms of the board, I believe, is every six years, and there are two spots up for this May sixteenth uh, election. And yeah, I mean Ryan Davidson alluding to that. I think, you know, he showed probably more vocal sympathy or interest in what the Concerned Citizens of Meridian had to say and was talking about materials in the library that he thinks should not be there or should not be there and available for children. Um, but bottom line, uh, yeah, there are elections. That's part of this this process that already exists for this library district. It's not like these people, the, the library district board is put in place forever or that there's no democratic process. There is a democratic process process. And there's an opportunity in May for uh, Meridian to show up again um, and decide if they want slightly different direction uh, going forward or not. Yeah, in a month. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's in a month. So that's it. That's it. It's like, OK, yeah, OK, you'll get you'll get a chance. You'll always have a chance. These positions become available and there's there's more opportunity to get involved. So who knows uh, what will end up happening um, if there'll be any major push to get new new voices on the board um, and what that could cause as far as friction in the future. But as of right now, I mean, yeah, look, we'll look forward to that May election and see what happens. I wanted to hear what you thought on this, like, because I watched a bunch of the hearing and then I watched, you know, when they finally said their decision. Um, so I do feel like uh, these concerned citizens of Meridian really kind of overplayed their hand, like yeah. really mm -hmm. got people very riled up against them. And watching specifically Commissioner Davidson, he alluded to sympathizing with uh, the petitioners, which I, th I thought was really interesting because you had this huge turnout of people showing that maybe Meridian isn't what we all think it is. And maybe politically it's uh, more diverse than we were thinking. And I thought it was interesting that Ryan Davidson still kind of played to his far right base. 
Yeah, I think he's going to continue to do that because that's who got him elected. And that is not to say, I mean, that's where it's just so fascinating that Meridian still is electing conservatives to the city council and to the mayor's office and things. But the line of do we want our libraries to completely disappear? That was a step too far. And it probably was like several steps too far, honestly. Now, of course, there were plenty of people who even were there at the hearing saying, we don't want this to be dissolved, but sure, I have some concerns. And the whole question of, well, um, parents have, of course, parents and guardians uh, have every right to be there, to know what, um, to go to the library with their child, to be there while they're looking around, and then also to uh, check in on what their kids have checked out, uh, maybe without their knowledge. Um, and these processes were already in place, and it feels like a lot of this noise kind of obscured those, uh, the fact that you could already do that, you know, and like, it feels as though, again, totally overplayed their hand. I think that was, that's the right call, but will the concerned citizens already in this group find another, um, topic and another thing <laughs> to get everybody riled up about? Oh, Probably. you know, they will. Probably. You know they will. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to, we have a couple of abortion bills to talk about. Let's start with this late session bill that defines what is and isn't an abortion. Frankie, can you give us the backstory on why this clarification is even necessary? Yes. Okay. So we need to go back to last summer, of course, uh, when Roe v. Wade um, fell in the Dobbs decision and Idaho's trigger bans on abortion went into effect weeks and then months that followed. And this particular ban that this bill is about and is clarifying focused on criminalizing medical providers so not on the uh, pregnant person, but on the doctor who would actually perform the abortion. Um, I will say it was kind of interesting in some of the conversations in the committee because this bill like moved fast, like fast, mm -hmm. fast, fast. Like <laughs> it was it was really brought, you know, and we're again, I made a joke about it not being the end of the legislative session. Like clearly things are ramping up. We're recording on Thursday morning. Who knows by the time this is out on Friday uh, where we are with the legislature. But they wanted to get this through because they've heard since the ban went into effect in the summer and now from a lot of doctors who were saying, hey, I don't feel like I can practice medicine here. I'm scared I'm going to be uh, accused of breaking this law and getting a felony or losing my license. And we're seeing this real effect of doctors leaving the state. Remember what happened with the Bonner General Health? Yeah, absolutely. That was just a couple of weeks ago that this hospital up in North Idaho um, in Sandpoint uh, sent out a press release saying, hey, guess what? Uh, we don't have enough OBGYNs anymore, really. So because of the political climate, they're all leaving. And it means that in mid-May, there will no longer be uh delivery services. So babies will not be able to be uh, born at that hospital anymore. Ironic considering that, you know, like what, what folks who are in favor of these abortion bans says is that they want to protect the lives of, of these babies. And they're in North Idaho. That could be a real issue uh, yeah, <laughs> getting across absolutely. state lines <laughs> to get deliver. Yeah. The closest hospital is a ways away. It also yep. is out of state. So they may not accept your insurance. It may be out of network. Yes whole host of problems with that. So, well, what does this bill do then? So does it fix doctors' concerns? 
So it was a mixed bag as far as the in the public testimony. Um, for the most part, though, the most of the doctors who testified, uh, if I did the tally right, were basically saying, no, this doesn't do enough. We want to see more. We're still very worried for uh, our colleagues and for ourselves as doctors. Dr. John Wardell, he is the medical director of Women's Services at St. Luke's. And he said, quote, unfortunately, this bill really is still the death exception only. The health and reproductive potential of the patient remains in jeopardy. So he's referring to the fact that this one, this ban had a slim exemption when it went into effect earlier in 2022 that would uh, allow doctors to perform an abortion in the case of a pregnant person's life being imminently at risk. So not their health long-term or not even their life soon after, uh, but like imminent death in front of you as a doctor, and then you can perform an abortion and and have this exception work. But that creates so much, you know, there's so much gray area. And in the moment of surgery and an emergency situation, you just imagine how, you know, oh, wait, I have to check and make sure with our lawyers at the hospital (laughs) that I can actually do this. I mean, it's just, it's a mess. Not to mention, I heard them say, I heard a couple of critics of the bill uh, say, we're not talking like 50-50, like 50% chance of death. We can, you know, do what we need to do. No, it has to be 100% chance of death for right. for this exception. Yes, making medical judgments that are so crystal clear uh, is very challenging in this environment. Um, and so what the bill did do, it, it, it created uh, another exemption or, you know, a clarification that it would not be considered an abortion to remove the dead unborn fetus, a child, um, the removal of an ectopic or molar pregnancy or the treatment of a pregnant person um, who's no longer pregnant. So those things have been made an exemption within this. But, you know, what about if the pregnant person, um, you know, especially advanced ages of of people with severe preeclampsia, which is a very Mm -hmm. dangerous situation, that isn't imminent death necessarily, but it could be later. What about fertility um, down the road? That's another question that wasn't really addressed. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. What else did you hear in that in the hearings or what else were you paying attention to? Something I was a little confused about, honestly, is the rape and incest exemption. Like Mm, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot in there for that. Right. Yes. And so when that ban once again was put into place or actually went into effect in 2022, just was waiting for the Roe decision to, to fall. Basically, there was the the one sliver for the life of the pregnant person. And then there was this other exemption around rape and incest. But it's so complicated because you need to have a police report um, in order to prove uh, rape or incest and then receive abortion. Um, in the And it can only be in the first trimester, I should say, too. Um, The exemption only allows for first trimester abortions in those two cases. So a little bit more clarification. And then also the fact is we do know that uh, a lot of people who um, experience sexual violence, you know, challenges to get uh, that police report filed quickly and and have it in hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and how many rape kits are waiting on? uh... Exactly. (laughs) Yes, that's been a major issue. Yeah, rape kits just waiting to be processed and police. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And it got pretty heated on the House floor during the debate on this one. Like 10 Democrats walked out. We got a lot of national press on this one. You know, it was it was pretty, pretty messy. Yeah. Yeah. And the the Democrats who walked out, I mean, obviously, um, they're majorly in the minority here. And this was just a done deal, really, from the get go. I want to talk about this other abortion bill that's getting quite a bit of national attention. Um, Idaho, and this is really a mind blowing one. Idaho may become the first state to create a new crime of abortion trafficking. Right. Okay. so, yes, I had to read this a few times because I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Basically, so this bill came from Representative Barbara Ehart, um, and she described it in a Senate State Affairs Committee meeting earlier this week as a parental rights bill. Which is really rich, right? Like with all the the gender care uh, for my minor stuff we're dealing with, very rich for her to bring up a parental rights bill right now. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, it feels very, yeah, very hypocritical to say the least uh, when we're talking about uh, parental rights in one case um, around abortion, but that parents don't have rights for gender for, to decide if their kids need gender affirming care. So this particular one, basically what it means is uh, if, if anybody who uh, transports a minor across state lines to receive an abortion, they could face a criminal penalty. Um, And I should note they're, um, you know, the closest places to receive uh, abortion care right now. Um, There's uh, a clinic in Bend in Oregon and then Walla Walla as well, depending on uh, what kind of uh, care you need. Um, And Ontario, Oregon, of course, would be the closest. And uh, Planned Parenthood is still in the works, I think, to get that clinic up and running, but it is not up yet. So yeah, this would, yeah, basically say that it qualifies as trafficking, uh, human trafficking to um, help someone get across the border, a minor to receive this care. I want to say Brian Clark from the Idaho Statesman had this really great uh, piece uh, this week about how that really downplays um, the real human trafficking problems that we have to, to, to do something with this bill. Yeah, it was a really interesting opinion piece from him and all. We can share it in the show notes. Um, You know, of course, uh, they're saying that, hey, uh, when we we were serious about these bans, we don't want people getting abortions. And so we're going to clamp down on across state. Also, we should mention, right, it's it's the there's so there's the criminal penalty, criminal felony. Right. But then it's also that has this civil clause to it, which I thought was interesting that is both a yeah, criminal and civil element in this one bill. And that it's family members or the person who impregnated the other person could sue medical professionals for at least 20000 And um, And we should say this isn't just driving people across state lines. This is also obtaining abortion drugs for, for uh, pregnant minors. For minors. Yeah, exactly. Um, there is one exception for that civil piece, which is um, someone who impregnates a minor through rape or incest would not be allowed to sue. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is raised... Uh, people are people are paying attention to mm-hmm. Idaho and to this particular bill, uh, which has moved also pretty swiftly um, through the legislature as of right now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Well, uh, speaking of national attention, we don't actually really want Idaho uh, had the dubious honor of being featured not once but twice in The Onion this week. Yeah. Um, let's see. What was the first one? I think the first one was about the firing squad. Yeah. Bill. And it's what's funny about these to me is they didn't really even tag jokes onto it. It's literally just what's happening here. Like the first one is <laughs> Idaho becomes latest state to permit execution by firing squad. Uh, the onion didn't really do a lot of satire there. They just sort of said what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Republican Idaho Governor Brad Little has signed a bill allowing execution by firing squad, making Idaho the latest cert to turn to older methods of capital punishment amid a nationwide shortage of lethal injection drugs. Literally the truth and exactly yeah. what happened. <laughs> Just what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But then with some snarky quotes from uh, yeah. fake Idahoans, of course. What was the other one? Idaho hospitals to stop delivering babies as doctors flee the state due to abortion ban. Again, just literally what's happening here. Right. Uh, <laughs> which is where we're at. This is what people always say to me. Oh, my gosh, it must be so easy to do comedy in a state like Idaho. And I'm like, there there reaches a point where you can't satirize things, where you can't make them funny. All you can do is just sort of present them and uh, and let people go, wow. <laughs> you know, right. and that's where the onion's at with Idaho right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I should have said before, a lot of, you know, those those Dems who walked out of the House debate on uh, the abortion uh, bill, um, you know, a lot of them are in Boise, right? And so we continue to see this this tension that we talk about all the time between Boise politics, um, more liberal, and then the state politics, much more conservative. And Boise, uh, yeah, is trying to trying to stand up on these particular issues and uh, not be satirized in the Onion every other week. <laughs> Um, well, let's let's talk about something fun and exciting. Uh, the James Beard Awards. I'm very I think this is so cool. Two Idaho chefs are finalists for the prestigious Food Industry Award, which is, I think, a first for us. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. The Statesman did an article about this. We'll link to it. Um, yeah, it's the first time they've made it this far in that particular uh, award. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe one of them will win the big one. Um, and can we just say, so deserving. Uh, so it's Salvador Alamia from Amano and Chris Camori from Kin. Um, really cool to see both of them make it this far. And so deserved. Both those places. Uh, yes. Just uh, the best food in Boise and just so amazing. So that's so, so cool to see them advance. I know. And, you know, uh, just need to make listeners really hungry. We did, um, the CityCast <laughs> Boise crew went to Amano uh, fairly recently, uh, head over to Caldwell to meet up with producer Evelyn and we oh my god that oh my was god. <laughs> seriously still one of my favorite meals I've had uh in months and I want it all the time I had the birria tacos with like the consomme oh mm -hmm. my god it was so good didn't we share we shared some french toast oh the french toast is amazing I had the uh birria hash so like yes. a corned beef hash situation but with mm -hmm. birria instead and uh, I have not stopped thinking about their spiced coffee since I had it. I think oh about it every boy. day. <laughs> oh, boy. so amazing. That, unbelievable. Everybody needs to go get that coffee. I completely agree. Uh, Kin's menu, I don't mm. know. I haven't been to Kin in a while. It's such a special experience. And, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. literally <laughs> the only way to, to describe it is it 
is an experience. And, you know, the, their prefix menu, they're always updating it. Right now they have a Women's History Month menu. So um, cool. I was just looking at, yeah, they've got like beef tartare and then a hot and sour soup and then cream of wheat. Oh, interesting. Cabbage roll, pound cake. Honestly, uh, every time I do get the chance to eat there, and it is a special occasion when I, uh, when you get to go there, it's like I'm thinking about just how creative and amazing everything that Chris Kamori and his um, crew puts together. It's so cool. So, yeah, good luck, guys. Yeah, you good win. luck. And I'm so <laughs> excited for Ken's picnic series to pick oh, up again yes. in the summer. Yes. So, so fun. Well, we have more breaking food news. Uh very exciting. Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives <laughs> is on Friday night, and it's the world of meats, as I believe it is. Airs at 10 p.m. Is that, is uh, yes. that is what I've heard? Yes, yes. Uh, the mayor of Flavortown. We know that um, Guy Fieri and his Frosted Tips uh, came here like a month ago and, and was filming with um, his son, which is super sweet. There were like a bunch of different social media posts around town from uh, different uh, restaurants where they were visiting. Now, this one, you know, because it's not always like every episode, like it's a few different locations where where he is. So um, I don't think this is the only time that Boise will be featured in this new season of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Um, but at least a couple of the restaurants will be featured. I'm really excited to see exactly what he says and what, what he eats there. Well, uh, between Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives and Antiques Roadshow, uh, Boise featured for the next three weeks uh, starting on Monday, which is really exciting. Lots to watch and lots to keep your mind off uh, the legislature still being in session. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's good that the weather's so bad. You, you don't feel bad about staying in and watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Frankie. Thanks, Emma. And after Frankie and I recorded Thursday morning, the abortion trafficking bill cleared another hurdle. It passed the Senate along party lines and now heads to Governor Brad Little's desk for his signature or a veto. Should it become law, Planned Parenthood told the Idaho Capital Sun the organization intends to sue the state. The bill that Republicans say creates an affirmative defense for doctors to provide abortion care has also advanced. And another update on a bill we've been following— a measure that would restrict drag shows on public property has hit a brick wall. The bill, which targeted pride festivals, including the one in Boise, would have allowed individuals to sue show organizers and venues for $10,000. It previously passed through the House but didn't get a hearing in the Senate. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Frankie Barnhill, Evelyn Avitia, and me, Emma Arnold. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, and our music is by All the Kimonos and local band Up Is The Down Is The. If you enjoyed our show today, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. We'll be back Monday with our favorite things to do in Boise during spring. Which is coming, I promise. Bye. Bye.